Hey, good to have you back again today. I appreciate your being here to worship, even though I can't tell you who you are. You got those masks on, and uh, every time anybody comes up, I'm going to throw my hands up and say, you can take whatever I got, you know, one of those things. But uh, I enjoyed being here and being able to preach to you from God's Word. It has been my pleasure to do so. Uh, this morning, I'd like for us to pray about what God has to speak to your heart this morning, but also for Dustin and Kristen and Tyler and Nora as they get ready to come here and be a part of the leadership team. Would you just bow with me together and let's pray about that. Father, we thank you for leading us, for being among us, that your spirit would lead ours. But I also pray for uh, the Fulton family, uh, picking up roots, moving this way, and Father, that you have called them to help lead this church. We pray your blessing on them as they move. We pray your blessing on this church as they continue to move forward, that the kingdom might increase. And Father, for this morning, I just pray that you would speak to each one of our hearts. You've got something for us. Help us to see what it is and to be better because of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Not going to bring me the table this morning, are they? Okay. Maybe I can do this without a table. Maybe he'll come back. I don't know. There you are. Thank you. Um, it's just a nice place to rest my Bible when I do some walking and whatever. I've noticed throughout time that there are those who find it very easy to find the right words to say at the right time. And I've found that there are others who just do not. Thank you, Gary. Appreciate it. Nothing was more evident to me in that when my firstborn was about 15 years of age and he had a job. He was a busboy at a restaurant, and so he didn't have his driver's license yet. I would take him. I would drop him off. He'd work for a few hours. I'd pick him up. And I'm one of those that just likes the conversation, likes to just engage, you know, and let's, let's get. He's one that just doesn't. doesn't. Finds it difficult to find the right words to say at the right time. He just does. So I decided this one particular time, I'm going to not speak first. I'm going to let him speak first. No hi, no how did your day go, whatever, nothing, okay? So he gets in the car, not a word. Back out of the parking lot, across the parking lot, and onto the highway, not a word. Seven, eight minutes later, we turn down left like we're headed for home, nothing yet. We're about 10 minutes into this ride going home, right? And not a word driving me nuts. Can't do this thing. So finally, I, I broke the silence. I said, I can't do this. I determined that I was going to let you speak first and then me, and I just can't do it. Joel, what are you thinking? You know what his answer was? His answer was, well, I was just enjoying the peace and quiet. That's what he said until I broke it up for him, right? It's just hilarious. Some people are just like that. I've always kind of found it difficult to find the right words at the right time. Wonderful kid. Um, would do anything for you. And, and that. my second born was a daughter. And she's just in contrast. Ohio Northern is where she went to school. In her sophomore year, after one class, three guys came up to her after class and said, I want to talk to you for a minute. We're going out to a debate competition, national competition in Kansas City in about two months, and we would like for you to be our spokesperson. She wasn't on the debate team. 
But they notice how she answered and, and the way that she held herself in class, whatever, just totally different from my firstborn. So it just, in the same gene pool, my wife and I, I, I thoroughly enjoy and, and uh, the conversation in that, and, and at times she would struggle. That's my turf. And I realized early in our marriage that when we would get into an argument, I'd win every time because that's my home turf. And then I realized it's not about winning. It's not. And I had to back it off. And when you're in a conversation, it gets to be difficult. It's not about winning. It's about communicating in a way that both of you can move forward on common ground. And so what I'm going to talk about today, is it really worth it? Is it really worth it? If you're going to say something, is it really worth it? Is it going to help or is it going to bring something down? Is it going to build up somebody or is it going to tear them down? Is it going to become a, a part of a conversation that meets common ground or are you going to bring it down? Is it really worth it? And we need to kind of work through that at times before we say anything. I'm one of those guys that when there's a conversation that's being held, there are usually three or four things that are just flying in my mind immediately. And now what I need to decide to do is, pick the right one. And sometimes I do. I pick the right one. Sometimes I don't. And that gets me in trouble. But we need to be a little more cautious about, is it really worth it? What I'm going to say, is it really, really worth it? I want to read for you several scriptures, and three of them come from the book of Proverbs, and then three or two of them come from the book of James. The book of James has been noted to be almost like the Proverbs for the New Testament. That's one of those books you can kind of pick up and put your finger on and it'll be something good for you. You don't have to have an entire context. That's the way Proverbs works an awful lot of times. But to speak or not to speak. Let's be scripturally sound and let's read through five of my favorite verses of scripture that have to do with this. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat of its fruit. Oh, my goodness. The power of life and death. To bring somebody alive, let them know they're appreciated, or to bring somebody down and really hurt. Also in Proverbs, in chapter 15, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. It's the same kind of an idea. You're bringing calm to the situation. I like Proverbs 29. It says that a fool tells all that he knows, but a wise man keeps it in until afterwards. Ooh. A fool, as soon as he thinks of something, is going to just say it. There's no screen. There's no filter. There's no... A fool will tell all that he knows, but a wise man will keep it in until afterwards, until he's digested the situation. What do I say? How's this going to help? That kind of thing. I like Proverbs 17, 28. Someone has paraphrased it to say it this way. Better to be silent and to be thought a fool than to speak up and to remove all doubt. Right? We need to be cautious about when we speak and when we do not. Here's... Two from the book of James. 
The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of its life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Whoa. Makes me pause. Be careful. He says, no man can tame that tongue. We can do better, but boy, it's just waiting to get unleashed, and don't let it. That's what James is saying. And then the one comes from chapter 1. He says this, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Is it really worth it to speak or not to speak? You know, the scriptures have an awful lot to say about our words and how we use them and our tongue and our speech. These are just kind of five of my favorites. And what I like to do is to get family-friendly first. And by that, I mean, what do we do within the church? How do we build up the body of Christ? And so in that context, all right, I want you to be careful about a couple of things, and then I want you to be quick about a couple of things, all right? The first one is, let's be careful with the sarcasm. Let's be careful with the sarcasm. How many of you have ever seen Home Improvement? Tim, the tool man, Taylor, right? Yeah. The reruns. You may have been just watching. I was watching one of the reruns the other day, and it was great. It was great. He is one of the most sarcastic, right? And he can nail you in a heartbeat. I figured this out. Being with five brothers, we had a fight any time we wanted one. Whether it was verbal or physical, didn't matter because we were just good at the sarcasm. And I found this out. Sarcasm very often is like a counterpuncher. Situation presents itself, and then boom, you slip it right in there. And that's what Tim does. Tables were reversed in this one episode. Al Borland is his assistant who always gets made fun of, right? And then there's Wilson. You never really get to see his whole face just from here up, right? I did a sermon series one time. We built a fence, and we had Wilson behind the fence. I would ask him a question. He would give me an answer, and then I would preach off of that. It was fun. It was just a lot of fun. But in this one episode, it was switched. Al was asked to be the host of a show and Tim to be his assistant. And it was hilarious because now Al is the host with the knowledge. Tim is the assistant. He really doesn't know much of what's going on. At the end of the first episode, and Al being the host, Tim goes, I'm done. I'm out of here. And Al goes, why? What's, what's the matter? He said, I don't like being the assistant and being made fun of the whole time. And Al just looks at him and smiles and shakes his head. Because that's usually his role. Tim didn't like it when he was the one. And we got to be cautious about the way that we use sarcasm. I'll never forget in church in Indiana that I served for a number of years, there was a man by the name of Bill Pearl. He was one of the elders and gotten to know me and him and good relationship, took me to lunch one time in my young 30s. And he said, Mike, he said, I got to bring this up. He said, sarcasm is fine for a lot of people, but it's not for everybody. Be cautious because the older people don't like it so much. And that was wise. I appreciated the fact that he had earned that right 
to say, Mike, you got to be careful here with the sarcasm. And I did from that moment on. It was wise. The second thing, be careful with criticism. And the close cousin to that is complaining, right? Criticize, complain. A person said complaining is a lot like bad breath. He said you recognize it when it comes from the mouth of somebody else. You just don't recognize it when it comes from yours. <laughs> because when we complain, when we criticize, and when we have the right to, well, we know what should be done. We know this is better. We know that we're right. And when it comes from our mouth, we don't recognize it so quickly. Be cautious about the complaining. Be cautious about criticizing within the family of Christ. Two things to be quick to do. Quick to listen. That's the way James says it. That means just pause let somebody else speak. Hear where the heart is coming from. I was in a singing group in college at one point, and I'll never forget the place where we were. We were in Florida, and as we were in this camp, a guy came to me and he said, I need to speak with you about something. And so we made our way out into the ball field, into the left field. I'll never forget it. And on the way out there, I said, I know. You're going to tell me that you're gay, and you need to know what to do with that, right? And there was this pause, and I knew I was in trouble. And he said, Mike, I am really struggling with that right now in my life. And I felt like pulling both feet out of my mouth because I wasn't quick to listen. And that, I think, is what James is saying Let's pause. Let's be quick to listen. Let's hear what the other person has to say. Let's know where they're coming from. Let's hear their heart. Be quick to listen. The second thing is be quick to encourage. To encourage. I read this the other day. Country of Malaysia. I didn't even know there was a country of Malaysia. It's over in the southeast corner of Asia, over next to Indonesia and that area came out of a court setting. This secretary was taken to court by her boss. And the ruling came out, and I need to read it for you. The court ruling said, it is acceptable to say things about your superior which are derogatory and vulgar. It's acceptable. As long as it is done behind his back. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious? It's okay to be <laughs> demeaning and vulgar and whatever else, as long as it's done behind their back. She was sending emails about her boss, not to him, but about him. And you know, and I know, as brothers and sisters in Christ, that's not how we're supposed to live. We're supposed to be building up the body, to be encouragers, to be quick to encourage, not to tear down. So be cautious about the family and what we say and, and what we do. Let's be personally practical. Just four things I want to share here. To be personally practical. Avoid some situations. If you know it's going to cause trouble, avoid it if you can. 
I was sharing with somebody just about athletics, and, and we were all in that way in high school. And, but, man, did I have a temper. And I quit all sports my junior and senior year, never played one, because I was serious about God at 15 and 16. And I was afraid that it would come out and I would just blow my witness. And I quit it all. I avoided a situation which then somebody would question, and you call yourself a Christian? Others can do it. I couldn't. And so I personally had to avoid that kind of situation. I was in a meeting the other day, and somebody said, uh, was talking about, I don't know, going off on how they felt about something. And... Um, probably politics, you know how that will go, right? And people get all wrapped up in. And I said, well, why don't you tell us what you really feel? You know, just kind of being a little sarcastic. Oh, people know how I feel, that's for sure. Well, we need to be cautious about speaking and letting people know how we feel. Sometimes we can hide behind that when it's really not good for the body, for people around us. We need to have discretion. So is it really worth saying or is it not? The second thing, to practice what you say. Practice what you say. You know the story about the prodigal son. He got his inheritance. He took off to a, a city, spent it all, and he's finding himself in the hog pen. And he's eating what the hogs are eating. And the Bible says that he came to himself. And he thought, boy, my father's house, they have servants in my father's house that are doing better than I am now. I will go back and I will say this and I will say this. He is practicing what he's going to say when he goes back to apologize. I think apologies need to be practiced because sometimes an apology, well-intentioned, will just end up in another argument. You know that. I think sometimes we just need to practice certain things. Here's one that I found a few years back. When things get volatile, when you know it's a topic that's going to be discussed and it's going to get heated, all right, here's one thing you can do to, and, and just kind of practice this. Just say, may I have an opinion that differs from yours? Whoa. I know this is a, a touchy topic. May I have an opinion that's different from yours? And if they say yes, now you can have a discussion. If they say no, it's not even worth going on, is it? You know it's going to turn into an argument. And that's not going to help anybody. But may I have an opinion that's different from yours? And then we can talk about this thing. Practice sometimes what you're going to say. Let the people know why. Let the people know that you have a purpose in life for what you do, what you say, where you go, that your, your life. Let them know that you have a purpose to life. Here's what St. Francis said. Preach Christ. And if necessary, do what? Use words. That's, that's what he says. But you know what? I've thought about that, and I'm not sure that he's altogether correct. If you live the life of Christ, and that's what he's talking about, and we need to do that. But if you live a Christ-like life and no one knows why, 
All they know is that you're a good person. Boy, that Joe is a good, boy, that Linda is a good, boy, aren't they good people? And you get all the credits. That's not it. We need to sooner or later let them know why. Why are you living differently than the rest of the world? It's because I belong to Jesus Christ, and I'm not perfect, but I'm doing the best I can. And I should have seen me five years ago. I'm a whole lot better than that. We're not perfect, but let them know why you're working at it and, and why your speech is different and why your manner of living is different. We need to let them know why we're different. And then the last thing. Here's some of the best things that you can say. Some of the best things. Obviously, I love you. We all like to hear, I love you. (laughs) Say, I love you. Here's another one. Say, I'm sorry. And maybe even sometimes, I am so sorry. You know what brought that to mind? John 3.16, what does it say? For God so loved the world. That little word, so, sometimes makes a huge difference. I am so sorry. Sometimes we need to do that. Here's another couple of good things to say to a teenager, to a kid that's elementary school or whatever. Your parents are awesome. (laughs) Don't you think some kids need to hear that? Your mom, your dad, I so appreciate them. It's good for kids to know that somebody else, from their perspective, thinks their parents are great. Here's another one. You know what I caught your kid doing the other day? (laughs) But turn it to a positive. You know what I caught your kid doing the other day? They were helping so-and-so, and I thought that was awesome. You know what I caught your kid doing the other day? They said this, and I was just amazed. What a good kid. You know, when the kids act the best is when they're not at home, right? We get to see that at home all the time. It's usually when they were outside that my kids showed up better than what they do in the home. And for somebody to remind me that I've got good kids, I need to hear that once in a while. Here's a couple more. Say thank you. Easy enough to do. But people need to know that they are appreciated for who they are and what they do. Say thank you and say it often. And here's one. You're welcome. That's easy. And yet our culture, our society has gotten into this no problem. Maybe you do it. My secretary used to do that all the time. And I would say, you know, one thing that I wished you would change from no problem, just say you're welcome. You see, and, and this was in my mind, no is negative. A problem is a negative. And so what you've just said is no problem. But if you say you're welcome, it's warm, it's fuzzy. <laughs> it is for me. And I think it just speaks a positive kind of thing. And here's the last thing that I have. Jesus said, by your words, by your words, you will be justified. By your words, you will be condemned. For out of the heart, the mouth speaks. He also said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before the Father. Isn't that awesome? 
He's saying, you let people know who you are and why you are with your speech. I'm going to do the same thing. When you get in front of God the Father, man, I am going to speak up for you. Isn't that the kind of God you want? Two things. I want to pray for you, for the family that's on the road soon and going to be here. But I also want to pray for you who are here, maybe just watching online. If you need to accept Jesus Christ, that you would get serious about it. Know him as Lord and Savior of your life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for bringing us together and encouraging us. I, I just pray that there is one thing that kind of zaps into the heart and lodges there for a while. And may your Holy Spirit use it so that we might continue to be transformed into the kind of people you want us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.